Paul knows. Today we are wrapping up um, the Read Your Bible series, okay? It's talking about the life of David. Um, so as, as Matt pointed out last week, uh, and I, I like the way he tries to get some interaction with folks, and I, I'll probably do that some this morning. Uh, was, it, was it Read Your, your Newspaper? No. Was it, was it Read Your Magazines? Uh, read your, your, your Favorite Novel? No, it was Read Your... Okay, it's, it's early. I know it's, it's 11.30 on a Sunday morning, still a little foggy maybe. What was it? Read your Bible. Okay, so that's what we want you to leave here today. If I do nothing else today but to convince you that the Bible is worth reading and worth your time, then I will have accomplished what I wanted to today and what we've wanted to do in this series. The Bible is an amazing, amazing book. It's something that God has left for us. Uh, and to give us uh, instruction, to give us perspective. And we've been t- as we've been talking through Read Your Bible, we've, we've talked about soap. So we've, we've got that showing up here, soap. Uh, not the kind you wash your body with, but an acronym to help us look at a way that we can dissect the Scriptures and apply them. So first is Scriptures, S is for Scriptures, and so we, we look at that, and that might be a verse. It might be a whole book of the Bible. Uh, maybe it's just a chapter. Uh, maybe it's something that you get in the morning with, you know, uh, as an email. There's lots of great services that are out there that you can get an, a, a verse of the day kind of thing that maybe comes to you or you see it in your Facebook feed. I know that's one of the ways I, I get some of mine is th- through Facebook. Um, next is observation. So you take that scripture, whether it's one verse or a whole chapter or a whole book, and you look at that and you, what do you observe in it? Some of it might be factual, contextual, historical. Um, other things might... Uh, be the people and the characters and the names. You're, you're observing things. You're observing life. You're observing the story and the characters. But now we, we, you've got to really move past that observation then into the application because, as I said earlier, to me, the way we believe as, as Journey, the way we believe as the Christian church is that the Bible was le- is given to us by God as His inspired Word for us to point us to Him, to point us to salvation, to point us to the way He wants us to live our lives, to point us to the way we should live and interact with each other. So we've, we have that Scripture, we have those things we've observed, and then we need to take it in and absorb it and look at how we can apply it in our lives. The Bible is to be a personal interaction. And then prayer, as the, the, the last letter to close it out, why do we have that? Why do we have prayer? See, so prayer, prayer is approaching God and asking for Him to be involved with us, to talk it over with us. Prayer is what sometimes it may, it may seem like it's a one-way conversation, but it's really an invitation for us that we are praying to God and inviting Him to step into our lives, to step into our hearts, into our minds, the way we think, the way we act, so we, we close out with prayer as this so that we've, we've read, we've observed, we've looked for application, and now we're praying for God's hand on that, that we might live it out loud. So that's what soap is, and, and I, I remember discovering this around 10 years ago in a, a, a church planting um, program I was going through at the time, and it really did make a big impact on me personally and the way that I view the Scriptures, even though I've been in ministry for many years before that. 
So before we go any further, I, I like to start with prayer uh, the, when, I, when I preach. Um, and and I, I would encourage you to pray. I asked for your prayers this morning. Uh, this is my only my second time of preaching here on this stage. So I'm still getting used to where everything's at. Um, but I, I invite your prayers today for me, and I'll pray a prayer for all of us this morning. So let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us an opportunity to worship you, to gather together as your people, to, to seek your will, to give you praise and honor and glory, and to look into your word and see how that it applies to us and how that we might live it in this world around us, Lord, that our lives might be changed and improved and that they may have an impact on others around us. So, Father, this day, Lord, I pray that anything was done or said would bring you glory, that anything that would not would be dropped off, and, Lord, that today you would open our hearts and our minds and you would just give us a double portion today, a blessing, Lord, in our hearts and our lives that we can go from this place refreshed, energized, and full of your love. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, uh, let me give you a little bit of an introduction to me, some of you know me, but some of you may not know some of these pieces about me. So I'm going to throw up a map here, and down here is Charlotte. We're here in the, in the Charlotte metro area. Now this, this red dot up there, that is Clinchport, Virginia. I know you've heard of it, right? Major m- metropolis. Um, at one point we had the youngest mayor in the nation. My friend Michael Mullins was mayor of Clinchport at 18. Actually got interviewed on the David Letterman show three times. Um, we, it was, at that time, it was a town of, I think it was around 75 people. He got the mayorship by going door-to-door the night before the election. <laughs> My uh, high school graduating class had 62 people in it. Uh, to say I grew up in a small town is an understatement. Now, actually, where I grew up is not where the red dot is. That's Clinchport proper. I grew up about 10 miles outside of that, further in the woods. Uh, in Robinette Valley. Robinette Valley was where I grew up, where my family had been for many years. And in fact, you can move on to the next slide. You should be able to see a picture of my sister, Kathy. I call her sis. I've called her that ever since I was, could talk. And that's my niece, Regina, there. She's probably five or so in that picture, so that would have made me 15 at the time of this picture. This was, as you can tell, was Easter. Um, I grew up in that little church, that little church there in the white building there, that Cedar Grove Missionary Baptist Church, probably at the time this was going on with those awesome 70s cars in the background and my uncle's rocking Chevy van back there. Um, We were probably around 25 people. That was a decent-sized church where I grew up. Um, So you all, I'm preaching to a large crowd this morning. Um, But I grew up in that church, and that church gave me a lot of who I am and a lot of the way that I view Scripture, the way that I view the Bible itself, um, the way that I've approached the Scripture. Some of it has been good, and to be honest, some of it wasn't very good. Some are things that I still process through today of how do I approach the Scriptures and the way I was taught sometimes maybe wasn't the, the best way, at least for me, not that it was necessarily wrong, but maybe the best way for me to look at or approach the Scriptures or maybe the way I interpreted the way they taught it. So uh, go ahead to the next slide, and you'll see this was the way I was taught the Bible was to be looked at. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's the Bible, right? It's God's Word. You know, light should be shooting out of it 
like, you know, it's the inspired Word of God. Now, I'm sort of being facetious about it, but that was, it was taught with such a reverence that, and such an importance of every individual word. Like, it was, it became many times for me a stumbling block, like a, a thing I, could, I couldn't just get past. Like, okay, I would read it, and because I didn't uh, get every word, then I'd have to, like, get trapped into, I've got to reread the same sentence, like, five times taught that like the Bible is the most important book in your house, like you should never set anything on, on top of the Bible. Maybe I see some heads nodding, maybe that was the way you were taught too. And, and that's not necessarily wrong, but in many cases I got left with this picture of the Bible as something that was so holy, maybe I couldn't even approach it. Maybe I couldn't get it because it's from God, right? And I'm not so God-like, so maybe I can't get it. And so sometimes then, even though that, that wonderful book of knowledge is sitting there, maybe sometimes I only approach it very lightly, or I approach it maybe with hesitation. But really, the Bible is God's words for us. And if God is our Father, then I should be able to approach this book, this book of, of, of great wisdom, in a way that is more open possibly than I have in the past. More approachable, more applicable maybe than I've let it be in my life. So in the past several weeks, you know, I, I've, I've got the daunting task to how to r- wrap up this series about David. And David is a huge story. There's a lot going on there. So, it, you know, we started the series, Don started us off, and if we go to the next picture here, I had to find pictures that were okay to show, like that were uh, in the public domain, like you're supposed to look for, you know, pictures that are okay, you're not replicating them for commercial use, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I turned on that filter in Google, and I was looking for pictures, and these pic- pieces of art came up. Now there's a lot here, and I could even do a whole thing about what's depicting and how people have viewed the Bible stories in those periods of history, but th- just use these as Uh, pictures to point us back to the pieces of the messages from before. The first one that that started us was Samuel anointing David, Samuel picking David amongst his brothers, ones who were way better looking, maybe looking more powerful, more capable, more having more wisdom because they're older, but he picked David because God said, David, I pick you. This is the one I want. getting picked by God. Pretty uh, hefty thing to take on as a young shepherd boy. So then we moved on from that in the next week. And if we take up to the next picture, we see David and Goliath. Okay, big giant there on the ground. That's a weird picture of David. I don't know why, what the, author, the artist was thinking about there. But here you have David and Goliath. This big giant, this insurmountable foe, and the shepherd boy. This big, you know, big foe that had fought the whole, you know, was challenging the whole army of Israel. Nobody would come forward, and David said, I'll go, but I'll go because God's with me. Great story. Awesome 
Awesome. Randy did a great job breaking that down for us and talking about David and about how this would apply to us as well. But then we move on from, from this. Now David's getting more and more fame behind him, and we move on to, as, as Casey talked about, the complicated relationship. You know, talk about it's complicated in social media terms. I mean, if Facebook had existed there, the, the, the term wouldn't have, would have not been even applicable to have counted between David and Saul because there was so much tension there, so much weird emotions and so much going on as, as David's star was rising and Saul was struggling. A lot going on there, a lot to break down. I mean, way more than you would even see in a reality show today. That talk about some crazy stuff, some crazy stuff was happening there. And then we move on to last week when Matt talked to us about uh, David and Bathsheba. Now, I was going to put up a picture of David and Bathsheba here, but all the ones, even the artsy ones here, were not appropriate to show in church, even though they were artsy. I remember my wife, who uh, is taking kids to art museums before, and all the kids are going, <laughs> when they went into certain areas, the art of the, of the museum. So I picked the one of where he's talking to uh, Bathsheba's husband, who he then sends off to his death. In fact, sends him with the letter to put him in the front lines to get killed. Talk about some messed up stuff, some reality show stuff. Right there it is. And then the consequences of David's actions from doing that. So that's where Matt left us last week, and now I have to then pick this up. Now where do we go from here? What is David's legacy? Why are we still talking about David? What do we have to learn from David? So I started thinking about legacy and what do you do whenever there's a word and, and you may want to really understand it more. Will you crack open the dictionary? Well, I'm showing my age here because I didn't actually crack open the dictionary. That's what I would have done when I was younger. But I Googled, okay, definition for legacy. Merriam-Webster defined it like this. A gift by will, especially of money, okay, or property, okay, a will. We all, we all know all about that kind of thing. Uh, something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. That's probably more where we're going to land on today. And then um, a candidate for membership in an organization, okay, so your alumni, your fraternal orders, all that kind of stuff. So, now, being a simple guy from Appalachia, and as it is from Appalachia, it's not Appalachia. If you say it's from Appalachia, you're saying it wrong. But from the mountains of Virginia, from Clinchport, Virginia, how would I define legacy? And I came up with this. The effects and memories of your previous and current actions that impact the generations that follow you. Each of us leave a legacy, and that legacy um, is, is like a, the ripples when you throw a rock in a pond. Okay, One action, one decision, one word, one conversation, one interaction, there's effects that ripple out from that, that carry on as a memory, as an affect, that carry on from that initial action. Memories, that, those ripples are memories of, hey, a rock got thrown in the pond back here, that's why this ripple exists. We all are leaving a legacy. Sometimes our legacies um, are in the now, and sometimes our legacies are far past. 
Sometimes they're legacies of individuals that we meet, and then they depart from us, but our impact, our imprint's on them, but there's, there's no more interaction that we've got with them. And then sometimes it's our legacy of people looking back to us after we're gone from here. What's the legacy that's left behind? I've thought a lot about legacy lately as, as I've had some changes in my family. My parents have passed over the past few years, and I've thought a lot about legacy. And as a father, what's my legacy that I'm leaving with my kids um, with my wife, with my family. Uh, my family's here today. Um, I have uh, my wife, Katie, my daughter, Emily, my son, Ike. Ike is on a camping trip on his way back. But, you know, I've, I've got a legacy I'm leaving every day with them. And what are the legacies that I've inherited, that, I've, that have applied to me, that my father, my mother, my relatives, that little church in the mountains of Virginia, what are the legacies that have impacted me and shaped me and what do they do and what actions do they have on me? So David definitely has a legacy. Now, I mentioned family and we'll talk a little bit now. David had a large family. In, uh, in fact, it talks about this in the Bible. If we go on to the uh, scripture here in First Chronicles, I'll, uh, y'all follow along with me. Uh, whoop, there we are. These are the sons of David who were born in Hebron. The oldest was Amnon, whose mother was Ahinoam from Jezreel. Now, I'm going to murder these names, by the way. Let me just preface that right now. There's way too many uh, vowels uh, for this country boy to get correct. But hopefully you all will work with me through this. The second was Daniel. I can get that one. Daniel, whose mother was Abigail from Carmel. The third was Absalom, whose mother was Maka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah whose mother was Haggath. The fifth was Shephatiah, I think I got that, whose mother was Abital. The sixth was Ithrium, whose mother was Eglah, David's wife. These six sons were born to David in Hebron, where he reigned seven and a half years. Then David reigned another 33 years in Jerusalem. The sons born to David in Jerusalem included Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Their mother was Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. Remember Bathsheba last week. David also had nine other sons, Ibhar, Elishua, Elpalet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. These were the sons of David, not including his sons born to his concubines. Their sister was named Tamar. I'll get to Tamar again in a minute. Twenty sons that get named, others that they don't talk about, that's quite a physical legacy. There's a lot of people that are involved there. A lot of people that David had a chance to be in interaction with, to influence because he was their father. He was not only their father, he was the king. What was David doing with his legacy? Now, we've, we spent last week talking about uh, David's Mistakes, sins, big ones. Now, we understand, though, that's in our mind. In, in God's eyes, sin is sin. There's not a grading scale. Sin is sin. David sinned. But, you know, if you read on, and I encourage you, um, uh, as a resource that we've prepared, uh, you can get online. There's maybe some still printouts left of this. For this, this series, Read Your Bible, there's a study guide here on the life of David. If you haven't started it, don't feel bad. It's okay. 
You can go ahead and start it now. Nobody's grading you, by the way. There's not going to be a test and like pass-fail or nothing like that. You've got a chance. Pick it up. Grab it online. Take a look at it. There's a lot that's in there that we haven't covered in these past few weeks. David made more sin than what we talked about last week. Do you know that? That, that? that thing that David did, while terrible and awful, weren't the only terrible and awful things David did. David made selfish decisions. David made bad decisions for the country. David got full of himself at various times. You know what? Because David was human. That's why he wasn't God. David made mistakes. And those mistakes didn't stop once he repented and he understood, and we talked about that last week, how he repented uh, of his sin that he did with Bathsheba and with her husband and with his troops and with his people and with his leadership. He admitted those. He repented to those. He moved on. But there were still problems. There were still issues. There were still sins that he would still commit and still issues that would cause issues with those that followed him. Tragedy after tragedy occurred to David. If we look on now, at, we talked about these, all this list of, of progeny, all this list of, of, of sons that David had, and his one daughter, Tamar, that's named. But what happened to some of these people? Amnon was killed by his brother Absalom after raping Tamar, who was Absalom's sister. So they were brothers from different mothers. That was the way then. But Amnon raped Tamar, so Absalom killed Amnon. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? I mean, we think, you know, uh, you know uh, the, the stuff we see on TV is messed up now. This is some pretty messed up stuff. It isn't just today that there's messed up stuff. It was messed up back then, too. Kiliab died as an infant, so you had to, they've had to deal with loss. Just like us, sometimes loss happens when we don't plan for it and it just happens. It's life. Absalom, who we talked about earlier, he, went, he decided he was going to rebel against his father. And so he was killed during that rebellion. Adonijah tried to usurp his father's reign when David had went ahead and named Solomon basically king and waiting. This this brother want no, I'm he was the actually the next firstborn, so he was like, this should be mine. And he started raising an army and doing all this stuff. And David said, No, Solomon is going to be the one to follow me. In fact, that's the one who God said should follow me. And so Solomon dealt with him pretty harshly. And then two sons who died and they died so young they didn't even get names tragedy. All this is stuff. Some of, the, some of these, I admit, aren't going to happen to us. I'm not going to have uh, uh, Emily uh, have to offer Brother Ike because they tr- Ike tried to usurp my kingdom. That's not going to happen. But tragedy happened. Life happened to David. Some of it was his cause, causing him directly. Some of it was indirect. Some of the way that maybe he raised or didn't raise his children properly. Some of it was just life. Sometimes bad things happen. But what did the Bible say about David? And if we look in the New Testament, we talked about legacy. And so the legacy of David wasn't just then in the Old Testament. We read about David again in the New Testament. If we move on 
to the New Testament in Acts, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David, removing him, talking about Saul, raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, "Who this, this is God saying, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now, we've been, is this the same David we've been reading about? Because that doesn't sound like the same one to me, but it is. This is the David that the Bible's talking about. But, so that leaves me, as I was thinking about this, how do I reconcile, how do we reconcile David's actions with their physical, political, and emotional consequences with the legacy found in the New Testament? Because that's what a legacy is. It's what people talk about, right? People after us say, you know, oh, what a great guy that Mike Hurd guy was. At least that's what I hope they say. They may not say that. I hope they do, though. But that's the legacy in the New Testament. We've got people looking back to David and recalling what God had said about David. This is the one who's after my heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little confused. That isn't what I would call it, but it is what God calls being after his heart. So how do we reconcile that? Well, it's a bit of a long story, several generations long, but we're going to start at this beginning of this story today, and we'll leave you to follow up on it on your own. But in 1 Kings chapter 2, it talks about David's now at the end of his life. He's going to pass on some wisdom. He's talking to Solomon. The Bible says, When David's time to die drew near, He commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. What? That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So here we have the artist's rendition of uh, David passing on the kingship to Solomon. love the way these you know, uh, medieval times... Artists drew it, making them look like them. (laughs) It didn't look like that, most likely. But still, David passed the torch. He passed a bit of legacy on to Solomon. And a little bit of wisdom, hard-earned, hard-learned over the years, that God had told him that he hadn't forgotten. That was to be the key to David's legacy and why we're here today. My dad left legacy with me. As I said, my dad passed in the past couple years with my mom. And my dad told me early on and repeated to tell me, even towards the end of his life, he said, son, preach the word. Preach the word. Don't get wrapped up, as he called them, in isms and schisms. These things that we get so wrapped up into. But preach the word. What does the word say? What does God say? That's what David was trying to pass on to Solomon. God had told him, if your sons follow my footsteps, there won't be a lack of a good king. 
Solomon went on, and I think if we go to the next slide, we see here Solomon went on to do great things. In fact, his, his wisdom, his, his ability to lead, his uh, uh, wisdom and, and, and knowledge and craftsmanship and in design and architecture made a whole new temple, made a, a, one of the expansions of the kingdom of Israel that had never been seen before. Solomon asked for God's wisdom to judge the people. David's influence had something to do with that, surely. David had charged him, follow God. Pursue God. The legacy continued past Solomon. In fact, as I've said, that's part of why we're here today. The Bible tells us, on the next slide here, if we'll go on, it says, in Matthew... So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now before this, it goes through this whole, all these lineage stuff. And you may remember from the Christmas uh, re recounts about them going to be counted because they were the house and lineage of David. Okay? So from David, the story continues through the arc of time all the way into the New Testament to where Jesus himself is linked back to David. That legacy was there, that, that God's hand and touch all throughout time was there all the way through Christ, which is brought, what brought us together as a Christian church. We are brought here together by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we're left, though, still struggling with this idea of David who seems so flawed, but yet the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. Well, I believe that the, the, true, the root of this is really in a very simplistic, almost mathematical equation, which is this, that pursuit does not equal perfection. If I'm pursuing God's heart, it does not mean that I have obtained perfection. I am going to mess up. If you're around me very long, you will see that I mess up. My friends Chris and John over here have seen me mess up more than once. I messed up quite a bit this morning in the first service. Y'all are getting, hopefully, a little bit better version this time. But my pursuit of God does not mean that I am perfect. And quite the opposite. If I really pursue God's heart, it is a pursuit because I know that He is the one who can improve me and make me better. He is the one that can take my brokenness and mend it back together and make something good from it. See, the enemy wants us to believe Satan, the devil, the bad guy, the one that's the opposite of God, right? He wants us to believe that we can't do anything because we're not perfect. He always likes to take truth and twist it into the lie that he needs so conveniently. And it's true, we are not perfect. But God doesn't need us to be perfect. He just wants us to pursue him. He'll handle the rest. So I've got a few points to close out um, today with that I want you to take away. If you leave from here and you absorb this, then I will have accomplished what I wanted to today and what I believe God wanted us to hear today. So, having a heart 
for God, if we go to the next slide, having a heart that pursues God does not mean these following things, okay? So this is the negative side. It does not mean this. It does not mean that when he calls on you to act that you won't ever turn it down. It does not mean that when you're given an opportunity to do right that you won't ever let down. It does not mean that when given a chance to lead that you won't ever fall down. And it does not mean that when life is tough that you won't ever feel put down. See, because when we, life is tough, the enemy wants to take advantage of that. And he wants us to believe that all we can do is in the mess that we're in right now. And if that is where the story ended, then that would be true. See, David could have, could, he turned down things, he let down people, he fell down, he had loss, he had all this stuff. But yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And I can see a little bit of me in David. I'm no king, but I certainly mess up. But so what does it mean to have a heart that pursues God then? So having a heart that does pursue God, it does mean that when he calls on you, you'll step up. It means that when you see injustice, you will stand up. It means that when you mess up, you will own up. It means that when you succeed or fail, you will not give up. And that when times are hard, you will look up. And that when given a chance to influence somebody else, you will point up. When David was his best, when David was following God the closest, these were the things David did. So David's story is not about him being perfect and him doing it all right. It's about him messing up and standing up. It's about him falling down and getting up. It's about him being pulled down and in sorrow, but yet figuring out how to look up. See, if I get all down in myself, if I get into where I see only my failures and I hang my head down and I see the ground in front of me, then I'm right where the enemy wants me. Because then I have no foresight. I have no ability to see the promise that God has in front of me. If I look down at my shoes, all I see are all the sticks and stones and everything that's in my way. But if I will lift up my countenance and look to him on high, then I can see what he has in store. I can see as I was driving here this morning and trying to get my heart ready for this, I saw the sun up in the east. And I was reminded that God said I, that he put that sun in the sky and he's the one that put the moon and the stars in place and he's the one who made the trees that grew up along the road that I was driving on. He's in control. I just need to be willing to follow and he'll take care of the rest. So, what are we going to read? Read your Bible. But why? Why read it? It's so hard, Mike. There's so many words. It's all these different books and chapters and all this stuff and them big names that you just read off and got stumbled all over. Yeah, and I did. That's fine. We read the Bible for the following reason. You have a legacy to build. You do. You may not be a king. You may be a pauper. That's okay. God uses the lowly and the high. God uses everybody if we allow him to. We have a legacy to build that can be influenced by what the Bible has in it for you. This book doesn't just exist for preachers and teachers. This book does not exist just to sit on a shelf, and it does not exist to be afraid to be covered up. 
This book exists because it is the inspired Word of God that is useful and helpful to each of us so that when we leave this world, we can leave it better than we found it. That every interaction that we have would instruct us in how that we can better get along with our fellow man and woman. How that we can point them to the one who can determine their eternal destiny. This book is for us. It is not against us. It is not a, uh, just a piece of historical literature. It is active and alive. It is for us to take in and absorb and eat it up and nourish in it. That's the reason we read our Bibles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you've given us your word. We pray that, Lord, as the scripture talks about in another translation that we don't use here, but it, we, we, it talks about in your word, though, that it says to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, help us to take in the Bible so that it would help us leave behind the legacy that you desire with your heart for us to leave. A legacy that points everyone to the absolute hope that is found in you, in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray as we depart from this place, Lord, that you would bless us and keep us, that you would have us to use this word to inspire us to bigger and better things for your glory and honor. And, Lord, I pray that today, if there's anybody here that hasn't accepted you into their life, that today they can see that you have a place for them in this story and that you want them to follow you. And, Lord, those of us that have followed you a long time, help us to pick up our heads and to look ahead for what you have in store for us. You are great and wonderful, and you love us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.